Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Welcome into another episode of Coffee with Coaches. If by chance you've missed some of our previous episodes, you can go back and watch those on Twitter, Facebook, or on any of your major podcasting platforms. Andrew, you, you want to go ahead and formally introduce Coach Weary for the listeners? Yeah, I will. I will maybe informally introduce him, but uh, yeah, Coach Weary was, uh, he's a mentor of mine, was the guy who gave me my first coaching job at, at Northland, and he's been a huge impact in my life. But right now, uh, Coach Weary is the National Director for Nations of Coaches, which I'm sure uh, we'll let him explain a little bit of what that organization looks like and what he does with that organization. But uh, I'm really excited to have him here. And he has a lot of a lot of knowledge, a lot of observations from things he's been doing with Nations of Coaches. So we're Excited to have you here, Coach. Hey, thank you very much. I mean that. Appreciate it. You want to kind of go ahead and explain what you do with them and then how that kind of ties into just maybe general what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, I'd be honored to. Truth is, you guys know I coached until 2013. And I was literally, there's no other way to put it, I was the guinea pig. We uh, started uh, growing so fast, so we added regional directors. I was the first regional director. Uh, moved to Florida, had to raise my own support. And very frankly, um, you know, God's been faithful, so I wasn't scared of that. You know, I, that sounds really coy, but it's true. So I get down here, and I'm the regional director for Florida. Um, we had schools, University of North Florida, FSU, UCF, and a, a score of others that we already had what we call character coaches at. But my job just continues to uh, evolve. And what happened was, uh, long story short, we started getting other regional directors, but then we had outlier schools. We had schools in Kansas. We, we were growing so fast, we had nobody to go out there. We have schools in Texas. We have uh, schools in New England. So I kind of became the national director, which basically is like the regional director, but to, I pick up all the outliers. With that said, and I'm sure we're gonna talk a little bit about this because we've already you know broached it off camera. I had the privilege to go, I don't know, to 50 to 60 practices a year for the last seven years. I mean, and I'm just jump right in. If I could have done this when I was 23, I might have been a good coach. <laughs> I have learned so much. What I really learned is that I didn't know Jack. That's what I learned. I thought I knew a lot, and um, I do know enough, but I don't know enough. That's just the reality. And so I then into so many NEIA, NCCAA, D2 practices up to some of the high majors and. It's amazing how coaches come from different angles, but they're all looking to get the same job done. It's really been amazing. One of the things that I'm always interested to hear from somebody who's watched watched different coaches do what they do and do it so well and do it at a high level is, as you've watched those coaches, what common themes do you see from the ones who are successful and have not just flash in the pan, but have the sustained success? Good coaches are not coaches. They're CEOs. They have learned to be organized. 
They know how to administrate. They empower their assistants. They know how to have a good, solid meeting so that when they walk out in the court, they're all on the same page. You sent me one of your uh, podcasts. I listened to it. So I'm, I'm listening to Bob Ritchie from Furman and everything he said about terminology, they all spoke the same language. And there's a reason they're good. And if you watch them play, you could almost translate the term terminology as you're watching the game. And so they understand it's not just individual workouts. Those are huge. You don't win the Kentucky Derby with Eeyore. You, got, you know, you got to have players. But long story short is it's the ability to lead and to execute and to organize. And very frankly, Tony, I, I look at you and I know that, you know, I'm pretty sure you're Dr. Tony Miller, right? Yes. So that means you did some schoolwork and some leadership stuff and you've put your nose to the grindstone and you've learned to, I can't imagine how you've learned to organize your time. Okay. I think you're still married. That was, yes. but it was close. I mean, if, <laughs> if you don't do those things, those are really, really hard times where you were juggling what three or four jobs at a time in our reality. Yeah. That's what good coaches know how to do. Coach, I know it was cool hearing you just bring up Bob Ritchie's episode because I've been hearing, you know, just this last the last week in itself, we heard Bob Ritchie terminology. Last week, Adam Bradley talked about conceptual language and how important words are. We did a Stetson clinic with Steve Clifford and they talked about Panther talk and this how, you know, being a CEO is more than the X's and O's. But, you know, I think you've probably seen so many terminology differences in the place you've been. But I want to ask you a little bit about um, you, you mentioned NAI schools, and I know Mike Lightfoot is one of, you know, he's a guy that you work with, uh, with Nations of Coaches, but he was also a legendary coach up at Bethel in Indiana. So can you just talk a little bit about about him and his impact on the game and maybe lead into some other practices you've seen? So the first thing I'd say is Mike and I have had this conversation, just what I said. He said, if I could do it all over again, I would have been 22, 23. I would have found a way to make ends meet, and I would have gone to every practice I could. The other thing that Mike did, and I've never heard a coach say this, it literally blew me away because where, where I came from, my dynamic uh, was kind of more old school, and if I could do it over again, I would jump on the bandwagon of Mike Lightfoot. He said this, I'm going to outlove every other coach. That's not the average statement a coach says. Hmm. We're going to out tough. We're going to I'm going to out love his players knew that he loved them so much. Okay. That they were loved so much. They wanted to play for him. Crazy stat is he's got like 30 high school coaches in Indiana from his tree. Think about the, the, the major impact one man has had on the state of Indiana. You guys know if you've got a high school coach, he's impacting 40 to 50 kids. If they have a, varsity JV and a freshman team, he's got 30 of them out there. And that number is not, oh, so you've got, you know, 1,200 kids, whatever. It's transient. You got the eighth graders are coming in and the seniors are graduating. The impact he's had by that one statement, I'm going to outlove coaches. And, yeah. and, and, and it's pretty good. He, he, he kind of knows what he's doing too. That doesn't hurt. You know, that gathers and gains some respect. Outside of the, you know, coach caring for his players, um, you know, your job going in and helping develop character in these young men, like as coaches to have an impact that lasts beyond basketball. I've had some conversations this week about a coach in particular who had an impact with their players long past 
the time that they were with them on a daily basis there in college. What kinds of things does a coach need to be either implementing each day or communicating each day to be able to be that voice in that player's head, not just during the time they're in college or in high school there, but long after those days are over? Well, I think we're going to get back to a little bit of the CEO. I believe every coach needs to sit down, kind of have a vision, mission, and purpose statement. What, what am I really doing? And then with that, they have to break it down into core values that impact that mission and vision. And then I think what I'm seeing more and more is coaches understanding, hey, these are our core values. I know a school uh, that's their core values are humility, integrity, grit, and brotherhood, all with the foundation of love. So how do you make that lasting impact? If a kid's late to practice, you don't have to go into a tirade and just say, hey, let me ask you something. Are you living a life of integrity if you're always late? Are you being responsible and accountable? And, you know, the stat we throw out all the time from nation of coaches is, you know, Division One, and I'm sure it's Division Two, NEIA, as well as, you know, all levels, there's this great dearth. 78% come from single or non-parent homes. So this may be the first time they've had male structure. I had a young man call me. This happens quite a bit. Juco player looking for an opportunity. I've, I've already told him, and I'm not even sure if you wanted me to go here, Tony, but it's just, it's just the reality. I said, every kid wants to play D1. I said, go play D2 because this kid can do it and be the best in that area. Go where you can play and grow and be better. And I asked him. I've, I've been on the phone with the young man for less than 10 minutes. I said, I got to ask you this. Who do you talk to about this? Who do you trust? And he goes, I have no one. So it's imperative that the coaches give these core values. It's imperative that they keep the young people lovingly accountable, lovingly responsible, because we're not, I mean, the ball stops bouncing. Yeah. Hey, coach, you talked about the, you know, holding people accountable and, and core values within a program. I'm, I'm curious, all the practices you've been to and all the coaches you've been around, is there one or two coaches or organizations where you feel you feel like the standard is just at another level and they really do a great job? Because I know some schools will talk it, but they won't actually do it. So is there any, you know, and you don't have to name drop or anything, but if there's any place that you've seen and what they do to keep those standards high? Well, for all the listeners, I wish I could name drop because I know, boom, that they would really like, oh, I wonder what it's really like there. But I respect these coaches and they allow us in. I, I just can't do that. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you there's a high-level SEC coach that his expectations on himself are through the roof. Like, I've never met any person like this. I sat next to him at the Peach Jam. He opened up a notebook. And if you've ever been to the AAU Peach Jam, coaches are sometimes are on the phone. Sometimes they're just sitting with their gear. And there's like eight, eight schools that don't have to recruit. And I'm really careful how I say that. But they make sure everybody sees their gear. They've got two or three assistants sitting next to them. And they just look at the player. At that level, those guys want to be pros. And that's where to go to get that step. But this guy is probably a step below that. And in his notebook, he had grandmother's names, like best friends, whether they rode a bicycle or they liked to skate. He's that consumed with it. The expectation when I walked into practice, I felt like I had to pay attention more. There was just this aura. 
The other practice, one of our staff members, um, who's no longer with us, he's working uh, with the governor in uh, Louisville, J.T. Henderson, and I went to a practice. We both walked out and said, he's going to get a high major job. So first thing we said, it's the best practice I have ever been to. Everything was competitive. I don't want to, they didn't trash talk, but they encouraged talk. Man, I'm knocking this down. Can you match it? There was such, a, and it wasn't fabricated. It wasn't false because I know sometimes in practice, I would you know try to get my guys to do it, clap hands, say, come on, pick up the energy. And you could tell they did it because I asked them to. And probably the kicker was they went in and they had, we have a character coach at the school. They did a character moment. Those guys were bizarrely locked in. Then they had film right after. I mean, that was about 45 minutes long, bizarrely locked in. I walked out of that. I looked at the head coach and I said, you're going to win a lot of games. There's just such a high expectancy in uh, their culture and their focus. Did you feel like that was led by the coaches, the expectations, or do you feel like the players embrace that? Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, with, with the first one I mentioned, I was ready to practice. Like, he just locked me in just by his very nature. He's not the most personable human being either. And I don't mean that harshly. He just, he is so driven. But the other guy, he has a phenomenal relationship with the players. Um, he understands where they're coming from. He's extremely humble, but he's extremely strong in his personality. Uh, so he knows where he's coming from. And then he just holds him. He holds him to a high accountability. It, he'll call them out, but because he's made 10 deposits, he can make that one withdrawal. Yeah. You know, he's poured into him, poured it, and then he'll go. And it's not screaming usually, maybe a little sarcasm, which I'm not, you know, not everybody can do that. So I'm ah, thoroughly impressed. Something that was in our notes that I'm seeing a theme and it's something that everybody knows about, but what does it look like for you or what things have you observed? Just being a great teacher. I think all of us, like I said, would say that's really important. And we know that that aspect of coaching is important. Some would even say coaching is nothing more than teaching, but doing it, I think Andrew and I both you know, as younger coaches and can remember a few years back, our earlier years, teaching doesn't just happen. Like you don't just get out there and you're a great teacher. So what does that look like? And then also maybe some ideas for how to become a better teacher. Yeah. First of all, Tony, I would say you're blessed because you are a teacher. You're learning to teach. You're figuring out as you're in the classroom, you get that look from a kid like, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And so then you go, you have to become creative. We had a coach that I worked with that would call it duh coaching. And I know I did duh coaching sometimes. Like I would say rebound, you know, and they go, <laughs> well, I wanted to, I just did. I didn't say, Hey, you need to, you know, reverse pivot there and seal him better. Often I was reactionary and I know it was a failure of mine. Now I look back and go, ah, long story short is I think you have to continue to do what you guys are doing right now. And what probably listeners are doing, you have to educate yourself. I mean, you can't teach something to somebody you don't know. And, and I remember somebody saying this to me, this is where I started to get better. Go to every clinic you can. They actually said, go to every high school clinic. That's one of the things that, you know, I think I probably mentioned it to you that we talk about, but there are so many good coaches at every level. And you hear that, but it's really true. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so go to as much and learn as much pen and paper, 
can't remember. I think it was Mike Lightfoot told me he went to a clinic and he looked over and there was a guy writing notes. It was John Wood taking notes at a clinic. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. All right. It should have been the John Wooden clinic, you know, but he's taking notes. So you have to educate yourself. I think you need to, uh, ed- not just in the game, but educate yourself how kids learn. You know, some are visual, some are auditory. Andrew Wirtz and Donnie Jones, he'll look at me all the time when I'm speaking, and I've probably done it here. He'll go, slow down, slow down, because <laughs> I go. I'm straight New Englander, talk too fast. So I think that's the biggest thing, learning how people do grasp concepts and then understanding how to do that. And then go back to something that, you know, I said earlier about Bob Ritchie and use the same terms, because when you use different terms, that, that, that's confusing to everybody, including the assistants. I, have you ever been in a practice and the coach said, we're going to run this and he used a different term than what the play was and you go, what are we doing? You don't say it out loud because you want to keep your job. I'll echo just a couple of those things. The education part of it and going to clinics in this day and age where people are almost kind of sloughing off clinics. Uh, you know, I can get that here. I can get the information on the internet. I don't need to go. I found personally that the last probably three or four years as I went to clinics, it wasn't even the content necessarily that I was listening for, but how a coach said something the terminology like we've been talking about that he used or a phrase, just like a a quick phrase that he would use to get a point across. I learned more about the teaching side than I did even the content size. And I think in this day and age, we confuse the two of those things because we're so concerned with the content. And I already know that. So I don't need to listen to this clinic or I don't need to go hear how this coach taught it. I have learned more in probably the last five or eight years about teaching from listening to great coaches talk than I have about a press that's going to win me games. And I'm a teacher, so I'm biased to this, but I feel like the teaching is what separates the winning and the losing and the motivating and the connecting with the players than it is drawing up some magic X and O's or having some offense that's going to win you more game. I saw Andrew go from somebody who knew a lot about basketball to being a really, really good teacher in the time that he was with us at Bob Jones. And it was just a number of reps. I mean, do you feel... Even Andrew, do you feel one of the things I think that helped, you can either agree or disagree with this, we threw him into the classroom and made him actually teach a class. And I could see just in how how smoothly he communicated and you know being succinct in his words that the reps in the classroom, I felt, even made him a better teacher. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I remember several times you would you would call me out on either the way I said something or a certain word I would use. And you would be like, that that's either pointless. You don't need to say that or try saying it this way. And you helped me a lot grow as a teacher. And I do think being in the classroom, it just gives you a different perspective on how to break things down. You know, you're obviously on the basketball court, you're dealing with 15, 12 to 15 guys who know the game of basketball, but teaching a coaching basketball class in the classroom, you have some, some kids in there who don't know what a free throw is. So having to break it down to the basics, explain things, you know, I know really helped me out. And um, obviously that goes and translates on the court to be able to do. Kind of transitioning coach, as you uh, talk with younger coaches, you know, I guess we have been talking about this, but just improving younger coaches or inexperienced coaches. Some of the things that you would tell younger coaches, maybe even things that, that they don't necessarily want to hear, but that they need to hear. 
So you, Andrew just got done sharing how you, when he was teaching, would say, hey, you don't need to do that, so on and so forth. I'm sure Andrew wasn't like, oh, good, Tony can correct <laughs> me now. So I'm just going to be real upfront with you. If coaches don't want to hear that, that, this is fine that they don't want to hear it. But the truth is, this is how you get better and you grow. We don't like, I always often say that, we don't like confrontation. But I remember when my kids were younger and they had a hanger and they were walking over to the outlet, I didn't go, hey, I'll just let them learn. And you, you say, don't do this, don't do that. So the, there are a couple. One that I see coaches is they love to use the word grind. I'm in the office all the time. And very frankly, we're back to organization and administration. Sometimes it's because they have no plan and no purpose. They just are in the office all the time. And they're, they're not proactive. They're just reactive. Like, oh, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. And uh, what it will do is it'll hurt them in the long run in their career. Because if their marriage struggles, and we see this all the time, or if their family struggles, then it affects their program. They'll say it doesn't. But we all know better. The second one I see young coaches say today today is, I got a network. I got a network. And I'll be honest, probably my one of my strengths is meeting people, knowing people, networking. But I will tell you, even that I had to raise my support. I didn't raise support networking. And I, I, I'm somehow I'm just really grateful God did this in my heart. I raised support collaborating. I helped other people. And when you help other people, they're willing to help you. I mean, that's just serve others, love God, serve others. So I had a coach call me, he had a player and he uh, had already talked to this young coach. His name was Andrew Wingreen, by the way. And the guy said, make sure Andrew gets put that name. In. He was collaborating with Andrew. Let me just tell you, this guy has been in the profession a long time. He's at an SEC school. He didn't have to do that. That's collaborating. If Andrew finds a kid that Stetson can't recruit, he's going to call that guy. Because he served them. And probably the biggest one, and uh, honestly, I, I heard Nate Oates say this from Alabama. Coach where you're coaching. Be where you're at, you are. I say this all the time. You know where the grass is greenest? Oh, it's on the other side. No, the grass is greenest where you water. You know, water where you are. Get better at what you're doing where you are. So, Tony, what, what, as you say, I'll just throw this out. I am getting the chance to sometimes almost like life coach coaches. I, I, I didn't even ask for that. It just happens organically. So Andrew will tell you this. This is true. I don't know why I started this, probably so that I could tell people I did it. But I read two books a week. Hmm. And now when I'm dealing with coaches and I have all this stuff, sometimes making me a little crazy, running through my head, you know, trying to filter it all. I don't want to say I have answers, but I have antidotes. Let's say, hey, go read this. Go look at this. Now I know why God had me do that. Mm -hmm. So coaches need to be teachable, hungry, and they need to grow where they're at. No, I mean, I can, from experience, I know when I've uh, struggled with things or I've, you know, a lot of times come to ask you for advice, you oftentimes don't tell me what to do. You tell me, don't think that way, or you tell me things I don't want to hear. And I think, you know, you use that to, to love and, and help me see it myself, how to respond to things. So, you know, those three things you just shared are something that I've gone through with personal experience with you. So that's awesome. Before we finish up, you know, some people may not have even ever heard of Nations of Coaches. So can you kind of direct them to where they can find out more? And then maybe also some of the other things that they do that they provide coaches with. Um, and I, I've really benefited from it. We haven't had anybody character coach at our school, but 
every year, the thing down in Atlanta, the emails, that kind of thing. So coach, can you kind of tell them about that and where they can find out more? Yes, they can just, if they Google nations of coaches, www.nationsofcoaches.com will come up. Um, and there's some uh, really uh, solid information there. There are three areas that we really uh, strive to help college coaches, mainly coaches, but it's, what happens is, again, it's organic and it's grown into helping other people. And by the way, uh, the one thing you mentioned was the Legacy Summit we do every year down in Atlanta. I don't know if anybody online has ever heard of coronavirus, but that kind of changed that. So uh, what we're doing this year is we're having a Legacy Series. It just came out. Next week, uh, we're going to have an hour long with Rick Barnes and following week, Clark Kellogg, and then we'll have two others. And I always love the fact, and I'm just going to say it, we usually get somebody from Chick-fil-A. The coaches and so forth are really good, but we're back to organization administration. When you hear those guys from Chick-fil-A speak, it's, it's unbelievable. And I just found this out. Chick-fil-A is averaging $4.2 million per franchise. McDonald's is 2.2. McDonald's is number one, Starbucks too, Chick-fil-A just moved to number three, but it's just by sheer volume of stores hmm. because they deal with leadership. They're really good at it. So we do that, a legacy summit, but it's really about impacting coaches outside the game. The second thing that we do that has been overwhelming is we do ministry to marriages and family. Right now, uh, again, because of the coronavirus, we usually have a marriage retreat. 50 coaches and their wives. It's changed the whole dynamic of a number of coaches and their families because now when they've come to it, they become friends. They get knit together and now they have a, a source to, to share. We have a, another uh, page that if you go to our Nation of Coaches webpage, there's a wife's website. We are now doing uh, Bible studies and what's going to happen is basically, this was before Zoom became Zoom. We were already moving this way in uh, uh, February we did a Bible study with 10 ladies and those 10 ladies now are going to do it with 10 coaches wives, just going to blossom out. And then our bread and butter is adding a character coach to the program. And right away, when you say that coaches sometimes uh, get a little concerned, what's this going to cost me? We pay for everything. We get somebody that's in the community and it's interesting because you're in South Carolina. We have a guy at Winthrop. He's a businessman. He's a real estate guy. He texted me last night. Um, uh, just a phenomenal man. And what he does is he just pours into those young men emotionally, mentally, and if they care to do so spiritually. Honestly, coaches will tell you it's changed their program. We had one coach at a mid-major have one of these. And when he went to a high major, he took the guy with him hmm. and created a position, mental skills coach, hmm. because the impact it had on the character of the young men it's changed your whole program. That's why, and it was the practice I mentioned. That's why when you walked into practice, those guys were sharp. Not perfect. I mean, we're dealing with people here, but it's it's powerful. Hmm. So those are the three main uh, pillars that we have. Awesome. Well, Coach, I really appreciate all that you do and that you've done for for me uh, indirectly, a lot of it, and then also the things that you've done with for Coach Wayne Green. And I really appreciate you coming on the show this morning. Honored. I mean that. Thank you so much. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.